Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. I'm glad to be with you. Good to be uh, home after some travel and some teaching. Uh, and I'd like to just, at the beginning here, remind you, next week, in case you missed it earlier, uh, we had announcements. Next week, no 8 a.m. service. So I know some of you sometimes attend that service. Don't do that next week. Because there'll be nothing for you. 9.30, and 6. Four options, all candlelight, kind of Christmas Eve kind of service. Um, but there's four options for you. So hope you'll join us for one of those. Uh, invite your family and friends as we continue to celebrate the goodness of Christ and the remarkable gift of his presence in our lives, which as I grow older becomes more remarkable actually. And this is something that we'll discuss in our time together the word this morning. So let's take a moment, we'll pray and then we'll look at the scriptures. Father, thank you so much that we can gather within these walls this morning, listening for, for your voice, inviting you to teach us the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to shepherd us faithfully, and it's a prayer of faith, and so it's really a prayer with thanksgiving. Thank you, you do shepherd and watch over us. Now speak to us, give us, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to each one of us as we seek to live as people of hope in the world. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's very good to be home. As some of you know, I, I teach uh, at some Bible schools, different places in the world. I was over in Germany and Austria for a couple of weeks, also visiting family, also skiing for three or four days, which is part of my calling, I want you to know. It, it, it's just necessary, and I'm willing to do it as a sacrifice. So all that has happened. Uh, when I'm with students, most of whom are between the ages of 18 and 25, a common conversation, I probably had it maybe half a dozen times over the course of the last two weeks, is, is this. Students are very interested in answering my answer to the question, Richard, why do you believe? Why do you believe this stuff? This is a big question, right? And I have an answer, and I want to share with you the answer that I shared with them. I say to them first some negatives. I say, I don't believe because I'm afraid of going to hell. I don't believe uh, because... Uh, of the evidence for the resurrection. I don't believe because the, the gospel is logically superior. All those are legitimate reasons to believe, so please don't misunderstand me. I understand that people come to Christ through several of these doors. I'm not dis disputing those. Those are not what motivate me. Ultimately, what motivates me is this. I say, <laughs> you know, in a world where we're born alone and die alone, in a world filled with abandonment, infidelity, abuse, in a world where many relationships end too soon because of cancer or war or terror or paragliding accidents or avalanches or automobile accidents, in a world uh, that's very difficult to understand because of all the suffering that assaults us every day, in a world where we're filled constantly with the necessity of making choices and we may not know which way to turn, Christ comes to me in that world and says this, Richard, you need never be alone. I will always, always be with you. I gotta tell you, that's amazing to me. This is the priceless gift of the gospel. Jesus saying to you and me, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, no matter what decision you're facing, no matter how alone you are, no matter how much you've suffered or how much you will suffer, I am with you. Bam. That's why I believe. You want to live alone? Live alone. 
fine. I choose companionship. Infinite, intimate companionship with Christ. So, toward that end, we look at this text this morning, which articulates the power of this presence in a, a very meaningful way to me, I hope meaningful to you as well. Because here's the deal. Though none of us would ever choose this, the reality is our lives are filled often with the intrusion of unwanted problems that put us at a crossroads where we have to make difficult decisions. And all of us have to make difficult decisions all the time. Do we stay or do we go? Do we marry or do we not marry? How do we respond in a certain situation? And the timeless story of Joseph seen through fresh eyes is a reminder to all of us in the room uh, of a couple of remarkable truths. The truth that uh, Christ offers revelation to us through companionship at every crossroads. Whenever you're at a crossroads, there's someone there, Christ, able to help you make the right decision so that you never need ever make a wrong decision at a crossroads. And second, the promise also uh, so powerfully articulated in this text that God will always be with us uh, through all of our days. And so uh, the promise of God's presence in crossroads, the promise of God's constant companionship, these are why I believe. Now, to understand both of those two beautiful promises of God's presence, we, we start this morning by looking at Joseph's problem. Joseph had a problem. If you have the text and you want to follow along, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 1. If you don't uh, have it in front of you, just listen, and uh, hopefully it comes to life as you seek to, with me, place yourself in this well-known but not often well-considered story. We'd like to consider it just for a few minutes this morning. Matthew 1. 18, the birth of Christ was as followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, and we all know what that means, coming together, right? Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, like the curtain comes up, and here's a couple. They're in love. They're betrothed, which is engagement on steroids, if I can just say it that way. In other words, it's, it's like engagement. They're not married yet. They haven't consummated the marriage sexually, but uh, the commitment is tantamount to marriage. You, you don't back out of it the way you could back out of an engagement in our culture. Like, you could, you could just not show up on the day of the wedding, and it would be awkward and, you know, embarrassing and that kind of thing, and you'd have to return the gifts to, uh, you know, Macy's. I get that. But uh, it's doable. no. Not with betrothal. With betrothal, there's a formal process with witnesses, a dismissal, right? You're formally ending a commitment that you'd made. It's like, it's like getting divorced. So uh, uh, that's the situation. There's a pregnancy. And not only is it a betrothal, but, but there's two cultural factors that give this a different weight than the weight of our own culture today. Uh, these two live in a shame-honor culture, and by that we mean uh, the, the, the state of one family member's decision affects the status of the whole family. And we don't, we, we're so individualistic in the West that we don't face shame-honor in the same manner. I have three children. I love them. They make 99% of the time, great decisions, I think. It's all good. It's, but if, if they were to make a terrible decision, I'd be like this. Whatever, you're an adult. It's your choice, right? Like, it doesn't, I don't feel like it reflects on me. Maybe I should, but I don't feel like it. Once they're adults, I go, they're adults. And I, I say that to 
other people too as a kind of a counselor sometimes. Maybe it's bad, I don't know. But anyway, that's the situation. So shame up in, in the shame honored culture, right? Uh, no, that like a decision affects the whole family. Joseph's probably young, maybe he's 20s or something like that. Mary's 12 to 14, we think. Uh, and, and so uh, Joseph has parents who would, there'd be shame. Mary has a family, there'd be shame. There'd be shame for this. This is tantamount to adultery. And in a shame honor culture, it's a, big, it's a big deal because it's not just a stain on Mary or not just even a stain on Mary and Joseph, it's a stain on both families. Then on top of that, you have a patriarchal culture filled with um, uh, injustices related to the patriarchy that I don't want to debate this morning. It's just the way it was in the moment, all right? And so we're going to look at that for a second here. So Joseph is in a shame-honor culture, in a patriarchal culture, where he has options to preserve his own dignity and integrity. Mary has no options. He has options. And so for Joseph, he's at a crossroads. He has to make a decision here. What am I going to do with this unanticipated problem? She's pregnant. He doesn't know at the moment that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He, all he sees is the presenting problem. And the presenting problem looks like this, right? Like, so he, he He's got to make a decision. What do I do? And he has two options. The first option is total vindication for, for himself and in accordance with the law. Deuteronomy 22 says this. When a, a betrothed virgin is discovered to have la, uh, laid with another man, she should be stoned. Read it. Don't read it. It's there. Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24, right? And, and so, like, on the surface at the least... This is the option. This is the demand of justice. Joseph, we're told in the text, is a righteous man. So at a level, this would be the end of the story. Had Joseph simply obeyed the law, by the way, the law of God, and not listened for God's voice in the moment, just obeyed the law, if he does this, any and all questions about his reputation are resolved. Shame on our culture. He preserves his honor, right? Um, uh, patriarchal culture, he, he has the option of putting her to death with no questions about his integrity. He can, he, he can do that, and I can do that, but according to Deuteronomy, it's, it's kind of invoked to do that. So that's an option, but it's not the only option, even in the law. Because also, in Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 24, we see, like, plan B, if I can say it that way, which is this, we, we read... Joseph didn't want to disgrace Mary. He had fond affection for her. He, he loved her. This wasn't just an arranged thing of convenience, whatever. There was affection. He did not want to disgrace her. So, uh, according to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, we read that a man could divorce his wife for no reason at all. You know, all you have to do is write on a piece of paper, you're divorced. Like, I'm divorcing you. Leave right now. And that's the end of the relationship. Now, I see women shaking their heads in the room kind of going, that's unfair, I'm with you, but we don't have time this morning to unpack that, all right? It's a different series, actually, whole series on whatever, but that, not for now. This is just the way it was, all right? I'm not defending it, I'm just telling you this is the way it was. And so, now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. There's two options, right? Execute her. Or send her away, she could sit, and she could disappear, leave the community. And neither option is really that good, actually. And in the first case, jo Joseph's uh, uh, reputation is vindicated entirely. Like, he'll end up on the moral high ground, no shame, but the woman that he loves, Mary, is dead. 
at 14 years old. So that's an option, but there's a price. But there's also a price in the other option because if he writes the note, sends her away, and she disappears, he doesn't have to give a reason. But listen, we all know human nature. If he doesn't give a reason, what happens? Do you, you know what happens, don't you? What happens when someone just disappears? Does, that, does everyone go, well, I guess none of us will ever know. That is not human nature. Human nature is this. Oh, you want to know why they disappeared? I'll tell you why they disappeared. And then there's one, you've heard it, whispering campaign. Do you understand this? Like the meeting after the meeting, all that stuff, right? We all know this is human nature. And so you say, oh, yeah, really? He took a job because it was a better job. Oh, really? Let me tell you the real story. Do you know the real story? No, but we all know. We all, we all know that's, that's the downside to, quote, unquote, sending her away. Does this make sense? Whispering campaign. And now uh, she's alive. That's the good news. But the bad news is even Joseph's reputation is now at the least a little bit tarnished. Yeah, he says that he's innocent, but she's pregnant. Oh, right? You're following. So, there he is. He's at a crossroads. He's confronted with a circumstance not of his choosing, but though it's a circumstance not of his choosing, it's his circumstance. And listen, he must decide. Have you been there? <laughs> at a crossroads, a decision you didn't want to make, but you have to make the decision. Who's been there? Raise your hand. Yeah, you know, it's cancer. Do I do chemo or don't I do chemo? Do I get a second opinion or a third opinion? What do I do? Or you find out your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse has been unfaithful. Do I forgive and work on reconciling or do I end it? Or you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some spies come to you and they have a plan to assassinate Hitler, but you're a pacifist. And you have to decide, uh, do you leverage the trust and credibility that you've gained uh, through your position and, and participate in a plan to assassinate a man, or do you not? Like, how do you decide? How do you make that decision? You have to decide. You don't want to decide. It's not a circumstance of your choosing. You would never have chosen to be there, but you're there. You must decide. You're at a crossroads. You have a decision. There doesn't seem to be any good option, and there's no map. Hey, this is life. Because here's the fact. All of us face crossroads. Some of them are crossroads of crisis. Some are crossroads of opportunity. And the fact that we face crossroads is for me actually one of the most compelling reasons that I choose to follow Christ. Because here's why. When I'm at a crossroads, I want to make the right decision. And just one quick glance at history or just look at last night's news and you come to discover this. The state of the world is the disaster that it is because of the cumulative effect of millions and billions of wrong decisions made by humans just like you and me at a crossroads. Why are we messed up? Because we can't decide rightly. That's why. Uh, human trafficking is the problem because at a crossroads, people choose pleasure over fidelity. <laughs> this very middle class is a problem because at a crossroads, people choose greed over the common good. Trashing the environment is a problem because at a crossroads, we choose consumerism over stewardship. Relationships implode because at a crossroads, we choose pride rather than vulnerability and confession. And, and why is this? Here's why. Because when you're at a crossroads, you're never there in kind of this mystical, morally neutral space where like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be all zen and empty now and, you know, wisdom will come and I'll just choose the right thing. No, 
every time at a crossroads, there's already like a, a current, a riptide pulling you in a certain direction, and that direction is what I call conventional wisdom, and conventional wisdom is wrong 99% of the time. So you're at a crossroads, and the, the, the easiest thing to do often <laughs> is to make the wrong choice. Like you're supposed to speak, and you're silent. You're supposed to confess, and you hide. You're supposed to give, and you hang on. Like, why is this? Because of conventional wisdom. You see, the conventional wisdom of upward mobility means I stress about money, means, means I make choices to work too many hours, means I don't give sacrificially, means I don't live simply. I'm missing so much because conventional wisdom is pushing me in a direction. The conventional wisdom being popular, increasing my sphere of influence, compels me to listen to polls rather than listen to God. The conventional wisdom of preserving my reputation or my job means that Bonhoeffer uh, aligns with the state church rather than uh, the underground church. And if he does that, he loses the prophetic voice that is still a voice in the church today aligning us with God's will 80 years after World War II. Like, that's gone if he allows conventional wisdom to govern his choices. The choice of being a Democrat means you're pushed in a direction. The choice of being a Republican means you're pushed in a direction. And because of this kind of conventional wisdom, many people end up living what... Uh, Thoreau called lives of quiet desperation. Why? Here's why. We've ceded our choices to the weight of culture. <laughs> and as a result, disaster. Over and over again, disaster. And so what's the best way to avoid getting caught up in the ditch of disastrous decisions? What's the best way? I have to be open to God's revelation at the crossroads. And, and uh, Stephen Covey wrote a book years ago, a business book, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's like at the outer orbit of my universe because I don't read business books much, but I remember this. This is what he says. Uh, between, and I'm paraphrasing, so he says it better, but this is what he says. Uh, he says, look, between um, the, the, the crossroads and the decision, there's a moment. And this is what he, he says this. He says... In this moment, what you do in this moment will determine your decision. And if you don't do the right thing in that moment, it's not the decision, it's what do you do before the decision. That, everything hinges on that moment between crossroads and decision. Everything hinges right there. And so then, you know, like, we come to, to uh, the gospel and we, we see the, this first reality. And this is, this is for me, again, the profound hope of the gospel. There's this space between crossroads and decision. Here's the good news of the gospel. The good news is this. God is in that space showing you the, the, the right thing to do. All through the Bible, this is the way it is, right? God speaks to Moses in a burning bush, in that space. God speaks to Jacob with, on this ladder thing, Genesis 28. God speaks to Ezekiel. He has this crazy vision with, you know, wheels and burning stuff. It's still, it's God speaking, Right? But how does God speak to you and me? Largely the same way that God spoke to Elijah. Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, you know, not in amazing visions, not in audible voices. God speaks in what? Still small voice. You, like in this space between crossroads and decision, you can know the right thing to do. This is good news. God offers revelation at the crossroads. And we see it in the text. So watch what happens. He planned to send her away secretly. That's the end of verse 19. But when he considered this, 
behold, an angel appeared at the crossroads, if I could add that. An angel appeared saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child who had been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will save his people from sin. There's the revelation at the crossroads that offers a third way, right? Don't kill her. Don't send her away. Do what no one has ever done in history. Marry her. And when people ask, how can you marry an unclean woman? Say, well, she's not unclean. And when they say, how do you mean, what do you mean she's not unclean? You say, well, look, it's because the Father is the Holy Spirit. And that'll play really well among, you know, the masses, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, everyone's going to believe that. And, you know, Joseph's credibility is going to be fine. No, it's not going to be fine. But this is God's path. God has spoken. There's an answer. You're at a crossroads. God spoke. Now you know what to do. That's good news. So it says, when he considered this, God intervenes, provides the third way. <laughs> this is the promise of God offered throughout the Bible, right? Jeremiah 6.16. Don't you love this? Jeremiah says, stand at the crossroads. Well, like you're there. You have a, there's a crossroads. You have to decide. Do I marry? Don't I marry? Do I change majors? Don't I? What do I do, right? You have to decide. At that moment, ask for the timeless path. What does that mean, the timeless path? Ask for God's path. You're in that space now, crossroads. Ask for God's wisdom. J James 1 says in the New Testament this way, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all generously. God will give you the wisdom you need to live the life for which you're created. That's why I'm a, that's why I'm a Christian right there. I want that wisdom to govern my life. Psalm 32.8 brings this to life with a kind of a visual so maybe, Phil, could you just come up here and be like a living sermon illustration for just a minute? Psalm 32, 8. So it's, this is what it says here. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. The way. So here's Phil, and he has to make a decision. He has to choose. He, he can either go right or he can go left. And, and right could represent, any, it could re represent anything, right? So he has to choose. And let's say he chooses, he wants to go right. But God actually wants him to go left. So he starts going right. This is what God says. No, I will guide you. Try it again. See? No, I will guide you. One more time. One more time. No, I will guide you. Right? And you see here, this is the promise of the gospel. You are not alone. Thank you, Phil. We, you can make right decisions... Because God is intimately invested in guiding you. Isaiah 41, don't fear. Don't anxiously look about. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. You don't have any need to fear your choices because if you've listened for God's voice and prayed and responded to what God has revealed, you can know that God who guided you will also give you the strength to do what needs to be done on the path that you've chosen. This is a promise. So when you're at the crossroads, recognize the danger of conventional wisdom and appeal to God's character as the counselor and ask for wisdom. But you need to know a couple of things. Here's the thing. If you're going to ask for wisdom when you're at the crossroads, you're in that space now, you ask God for wisdom. You need to believe that God will answer. This is James chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God 
but watch this, but let him ask in faith, believing that God will give. So a major reason for this Joseph story, I believe, is to show us that it's in God's character to provide wisdom when we need wisdom. But this is, to be blunt, this is a, like a sticking point for many of us who are functionally materialists. Many of us believe that we make decisions because our decisions are so, like already socially predetermined. Like this is uh, uh, B.F. Skinner who said, like you're a, you're, you're a blank piece of paper and your culture has shaped you. So you're shaped by, by your parents. You're shaped by uh, your biology. You're, 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 like you are, you are this kind of cocktail of you know, dopamine and oxytocin and adrenaline and you make decisions based on what's gonna you know, please you in the moment. And, and if that's the way you think, then you don't believe that God can intervene. The gospel is saying to you, no, that is the way you'll live, except you don't have to live that way. God can intervene. And so when you're at a crossroads, ask for wisdom, believing that God will give you wisdom, and God will give you wisdom. And then this is the other thing that I, you need to know, and this is also good news, but it's good news that's hard to swallow, you need to know that when you ask God for wisdom, the answer God gives you, you won't always like that answer. <laughs> right? When, I mean, God intervenes in Moses' life in Exodus 3, and God says to Moses there, hey, I've got an idea, a great plan for you. Like, you're out here in the desert, you're pretty content, you've got a couple of kids, some sheep, good sunrises, all that stuff. I want you to go back to Egypt, where you left 40 years ago. Remember that guy who tried to kill you, Pharaoh? He has all the power in the universe. Uh, I want you to go confront him directly and tell him that though his entire economy is based on the slavery of two million Jews, you want him to free those Jews from slavery, let them go, and I'm going to establish a new land. You're going to free those people out of slavery, out of Egypt, lead them through the desert, into the promised land. Bam, that's my plan for you. And Moses was like this, I don't like your plan. And then God was like this, I don't care. Still my plan, you go. And then Moses went. And we'll see why he went at the end of this sermon. But he went. Listen, uh, if I'm going to ask for God's wisdom, I need to understand that more than once in the Bible, God's answer was not immediately well received. Jesus, in fact, says to Peter in John 21, hey, Peter, pretty much you've done everything you wanted your whole life, but now that you're following me, the day will come. Not today, but the day will come when you're going to need to go somewhere you don't want to go. This is part of it. Yeah. So the thing is, in the moment when God tells us to go somewhere we don't want to go and we don't want to go, we don't want to go because we think we know already the whole picture or because comfort is the governing value. Neither of those are good reasons to avoid the will of God. Years ago, many years ago now, like I think 2000 or 2001, something like that, my wife and I were needing to pray about a... a possible move to England when one of the schools at which I teach was inviting me to, to, to go there. And kind of at, a, at, a, at least at one level, we totally wanted to do this. Like, I love teaching, and uh, England sounded intriguing and fun and all this stuff. And, but we prayed, and we knew, no, this is not God's will. You're called here to Bethany Community Church. And I was, like at the moment, it was a hard call to call and say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. It was hard in the moment. I'm glad I made the decision right? God speaks to us in this moment, and if we believe that God reveals, then we have to follow even if it doesn't make sense. Some years ago, uh, when my father-in-law died, my, my wife, just kind of out of the blue, said, hey, I need to fly down to California and see my dad. I just need to. 
and uh, he was sick and had some uh, level of dementia and hadn't recognized her for a while. But normally, we buy tickets cheap in, in advance, and this was like, we, I got to go. Well, you know, far be, be it from me to kind of question, like, spending a few hundred extra dollars, but like, okay, let's, you, if you need to go, go. So she goes down there, like, on this, what I, call, what I thought was a whim, and she gets there, and when she walks in to see her dad, for the first time in months, I don't know how long, he recognizes her. She, she walks in. I mean, it's beautiful, really. Hey, Donna, good to see you. And his wife. And then he died that night. Like, how does she know to go down there? Here's how. Stand at the crossroads. Listen. God speaks. Do you hear me? <laughs> this is the gospel. You want to be in the right place at the right time? Then don't try and live on your own, friends. Hopeless. The byproduct of all this decision-making, by the way, is intimacy with Jesus. Because if you actually believe that Jesus is going to guide you, then you're asking for guidance quite a bit of the time. And, and you're learning to hear God's voice. It's very good. I was skiing over in uh, Austria with my friend Martin uh, in a whiteout on a mountain that I didn't know at all. And... Uh, so Martin says this. He says, Richard, hey, stick to me, man, because if you lose me, you're not getting home. <laughs> so that's motivation, right, to, like, <laughs> ski close to somebody because you can't see anything. You can't see five feet. And he's, is he taking me places I don't want to go? Yes. Does it matter? No. Why? Because I believe he will take me where I need to go. Not where I want to go. And, and the, the, the difference between Jesus and my friend Martin, and I don't mean to throw Martin under the bus, <laughs> especially since he sometimes watches this service. <laughs> Hi, Martin. <laughs> but they, see, here's the deal. Jesus isn't saying, hey, stick close to me, and then going. No, remember, here's Phil. Here, Jesus is behind you with his hand on you. So that if you start making a wrong turn, Jesus is like, other way, buddy. That's a cliff. And only God knows where the crevasses are, where the rockfall is, where the ice is, where the cliff is, and he will not let you go there if you follow. Indeed. I'll be with you every step of the way, says Jesus. When you lose a parent, I'll be there. <laughs> when there's a divorce in the family, I'll be there. When you're considering changing majors, when you're thinking of buying or selling your home, when you're tired of your job, but you love the money, and so you feel like your choice is between meaning with poverty and madness with wealth, I'll be there. You need the one that Isaiah 9 calls the wonderful counselor. And in third, this is the deal, God offers us God's presence every step of the way. Matthew 1.23 is where the kind of story ripens a bit. Uh, all this took place to fulfill uh, what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means what? God eternally, ever with us. God with us all the time, 24-7. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Remember I told you, I'd give you a little bit about Moses. And, and though, how, though he was resistant at the beginning, when he went, here's the transformation of Moses. Uh, in Exodus 33, 15, Moses is up on a mountain. Uh, the people that he's leading have messed up. They've made an idol. They're disillusioned. They're going to go back to Egypt. God has said to Moses, go down. I'm going to kill everybody. Moses prays. God changes his mind, doesn't, decides not to kill everybody. But then, th- now they've got to move forward through the desert. And this is what Moses says. Moses says this. God, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us. Exodus 33:15. God, in other words, this is Moses... Two years into this adventure, this is Moses. God, I don't ever want to be where you aren't. In other words, there's a, a, a transformation has occurred in Moses so that when he's at, whenever he's at a crossroads, in that space between crossroads and decision, Moses has been kind of reprogrammed now to ask one question. What does God want? And, and what's needed to know the answer to that question is intimacy with Jesus. That's what's needed. And Moses has it. Moses knows that the world is not only beautiful but terrible. He knows that bad things happen to good people. He knows there's injustice, untimely deaths, incredible sunrises, moments of intimacy. He knows all of it. And he knows that every person who will experience the beauty and the love will also experience the loss and the pain. And he does not want to go into it alone and neither do I. And I hope and pray neither do you. Because this is the grand arc of the Bible, friends. Adam and Eve ran from God. What did God do? (laughs) Ran after them. Uh, God didn't wash God's hands and say, I'm done with humanity. The first question of the Bible, where are you? Jacob runs from God. God meets Jacob in the desert. And he says to him, in the desert, in the midst of his failure, Here's God. I'll be with you every step of the way. Because it was never, Jacob, about your faithfulness. Oh, you're such a good guy. You know, I'm on your team. No. Jacob, you've lied, stolen, cheated, like you're this fearful, wimpish little man on the run, afraid of your brother, life and death hanging in the balance. And I'm here to tell you, I am with you. It's not about you, Jacob. It's about my faithfulness. Wow. This is the gospel. We can argue about the resurrection. There's good evidence for it. Hell sounds yucky. I don't want to go there either. That's a thing. But listen, why believe? I'll tell you why. I'm never alone. Never. And for a kid who was adopted, whose dad died, who half the time doesn't know up from down, that's really good news. So we're going to read Romans 8 and then respond. Would you just join me as we read again this, in the message, a beautiful articulation of some, some verses from Romans 8. Do you think, read with me, anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble. Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, 
nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Never alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, in a lonely and unpredictable world, this promise is like a, like a flood of nectar, the best wine. Thank you. I pray, Father, for anyone in the room who has never invited you to be their companion on the journey. I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of those people, that they would know they need never be alone. For we who already know you as a companion, would you forgive us for blowing you off so often and allowing conventional wisdom to govern our decision-making? And I pray now, Father, uh, that in these moments, you would bless our response of gratitude, our our response of prayer for wisdom at the crossroads. In Christ's name, amen. These prayer books are here this morning for you to just offer uh, prayers of thanksgiving as a gift back to Christ for his constant presence in your life. Maybe you can think of a moment when you've known Christ's presence at a crossroads. Give thanks. It's good to give thanks for any gift that God has given you. This is how intimacy grows. And if you're at a crossroads and you have a, a, a big decision, maybe we have prayer team members who'll be here. They'd love to pray with you. Christ shows up through the community uh, as, the, as, as presence. And so you can offer prayers in these little books or you can pray with someone and maybe you need to know Christ for the very first time. We want to chat with you as well so that you need never be alone and know this in a real way. Let's worship together as we respond.